0: Welcome everyone to the Shepherd Talk podcast with Pastor Ray Jones from Ridgecrest Baptist Church. This conversation is centered on reaching, building and connecting you to the mission God has in store for your life. We hope these practical conversations help to encourage and equip you to follow Jesus in a greater way.
1: Hello everybody and welcome to Shepherd Talk. Chase Falk usually manning this chair here for our visits with Pastor Ray. Chase is out today, so my name is Lance Griffin. I'm the recreation minister here at Ridgecrest and Pastor Ray, uh, how are you?
0: I'm doing great, Lance. And by the way, I should add that Lance is kind of an ombudsman too. I just have been assigning him a lot of different responsibilities. So he is our uh, Minister of Recreation, but he really has done so many other things and done them well for us, especially in COVID-19. He has helped us in a lot of areas like some hospitality ministries he's helped us with Uh, organizing and maintaining social distance protocols in our worship environment. He is always, as part of his role, has been uh, helping people find their way, newcomers, those sorts of things has been a part of uh, his task. And, of course, he is um, kind of designated as our our local editor for all things uh, produced uh, information-wise around here. He has a little background in that. That helps him just a little bit. But uh, thanks for filling in for Chase today, Lance.
1: Sure, glad to do it. I enjoyed the discussions. I know you and Chase have been in the middle of a, of a great discussion on the theology of Christmas, covered a lot of ground already. I, I, I kind of want to start out just by talking to you about some memories that you have, especially when your daughter Karis was young. Christmases are always special then, and I wonder if there's a particular memory you have when, when she was little that sticks out to you about Christmas.
0: Well, I, I would, I would say Christmas has been always been special around our house because of, uh, you know, our strong commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ and making Him known, and of course making Him known to. Um, uh, our daughter when she was young and we would have uh, what uh, we're not the only ones that have done this but we'd have a birthday party for jesus on uh, christmas and uh, to help her understand that it really was about jesus and not about uh, everything that appears on the trees but having said that i guess uh, just uh, just a, a repetitive great memory for me was watching her on those Christmas mornings uh, when she was young, to see uh, gifts under the tree and uh, see special things that uh, surprised her—the surprise element—is was always a joy. And I have to confess, she's thirty. Well, I guess she's thirty-one. Uh, Right now, and we still love the surprise element, you know, uh, even now when we all celebrate Christmas. She'd probably kill me for telling you this next thing, but I'm going to say it anyway because I don't think she listens to my podcast. So, uh, one of the things that uh, is kind of uh, uh, has brought a lot of humor into our Christmas over the last several years is after Karis got married, and she's been married, I guess, six years now, and uh, after she got married, uh, we told her, okay, now, uh, you know, everything's different at Christmas, you you and your husband, when you come and spend it with us. And so we open it, we wrap all the gifts, we open all the gifts. Well, she just really, it just really rocked her world when she woke up in our house on Christmas with her husband, and yet there were nothing there were no, no things under the tree like uh, other Christmas in the past. And she just said, I just thought you would have stuff under the tree for me. And uh, that was, we said, you're, you're, you're an adult now and uh, all things have changed. And so that was, uh, that was, it's really kind of funny. And she still, she was very serious. I just can't believe there's nothing under the tree that is not, uh, that's unwrapped and has been put there for me. So that's still kind of funny in, in our
1: home. Tell me if you agree with this. It, it appears to me, at least, that as, as a Christian, I can more easily connect with Christmas the holiday than Easter the holiday, but I can more easily connect with Easter and its theological ramifications than I can with Christmas and its theological ramifications. Does that seem fair to say? Yeah,
0: I think it's very fair to say, and I, I, can, I think I have the answer for why that is. Uh, at least it's my answer, and uh, this is my podcast. So. <laughs> but I, I really think the reason that is it, it is because uh, Christmas has been so commercialized. And Easter is n- not nearly as commercialized. There's certainly, you know, the candies and Easter baskets and bunnies and all those kinds of things. Uh, but the magnitude of commercialization for Uh, Easter is not nearly what it is. And if you think about it, uh, even those who don't know Christ celebrate Christmas. Uh, Atheists celebrate Christmas. Um, They don't know what they're celebrating. They're probably just enjoying the fact that they give gifts and receive gifts and get off of work for an extended period of time. Uh, My point is, I think that has uh, caused Easter to have a higher theological sense for most, especially for Christians, even though we know Christmas is about the birth of Christ, though the season of Christmas that we celebrate is probably not the season of Christ's actual birth. Um, but I think that's what it, if that makes sense. I think the commercialization, you know, when you start talking about Christmas and stores start putting stuff out in October, early October now, and it seems each year it gets a little earlier to use the whole, what's happening is the whole fall is becoming focused on the commercialization of Christmas. So um, I, I believe that is the difference. That's why for us, Easter seems to have this great theological meaning because uh, it's not nearly as commercialized as Christmas is.
1: And I think also you can point to Christ's blood on the cross at the crucifixion, paying for our sins. You can point to the resurrection and the victory over over sin and, and our path to eternal life. I wonder if it's as easy to discuss and uh, make it important, the, the theology, as we've been talking about in the series, the theology of Christmas and the incarnation, which you and Chase talked about recently, the fact that Christ was born of a virgin and that was prophesied. How does the church move the Christian into to understanding that as well as hopefully it understands all the theological ramifications of Easter?
0: Well, again, I I think that it's a tough challenge. I really do, and that's because, um, again, I you know I, I'm not harping on this. We give gifts in our house, mm-hmm. so don't don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I have no problem with that. We have a lot of fun with that, but uh, we're battling consumerism at Christmas uh, on a scale that's uh, completely. Um, Uh, different from the Easter scene, You're right. Theology in Easter seems to be much stronger. We have Good Friday services. We have, uh, depending on what denomination you are, you have special emphasis days leading up to that. So everything is still focused around the idea of Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection. At Christmas, it's almost uh, kind of a well, isn't that a neat little thing? Little baby Jesus was born in a manger. That's a, it's sentimental and it's sweet. And, and uh, I'm, I'm not downplaying the sentimentalism of it because I think it has a place. But I think that's where we leave it. And, and uh, we don't realize, the as I talked about in the last podcast, that the uh, value of the incarnation. And so um, how do we shift the theological there uh, I think is a tough challenge, Lance, because w- we, we have become so prone to Christmas being more about the lights and the trees, and we have all of those, so I, I, I'm, I'm pointing fingers back at myself, and I'm for those things, but, but in doing so, Jesus becomes a, a sentimental part of Christmas, not a child born to die. Um. And how we get back there, it would probably be, or how we magnify that in a growing secular culture, which has moved away, as Richard John Newhouse wrote, we now have a naked public square where God doesn't exist in the public square. Or if he does, he, he has no impact in the public square. So consequently... Because that is true. Jesus is a, sen- a sentiment. He's our sentimental value at Christmas, if that. And so you to shift a culture back would be very painful. I'm not saying it shouldn't happen. I'm saying it would be painful because people would have to start escalating the value of a child born to die and let's face it, that's not a message that most people want now at Christmas because of a, a, a lack of the Judeo-Christian uh, emphasis in culture. Does that make sense?
1: It does, and I I struggle with that, and I don't, I'm don't i not trying to sound overly spiritual, but when we get into all the, the gift buying and, and, and all of that, and I know that there are lessons that you can connect with Christ's birth in that and everything, but I still feel... I don't know. I have a hard time jumping into that because I do feel like it is covering over what the real message is and should be. And I wonder if we're fueling it, if we do go all in the way we've gone all in on that part of Christmas.
0: I think we are. And, and again, um, you know, it's easy to point at the culture and say you did this to us, Mm -hmm. uh, and in some sense they did, but we gave it up is what we did, assuming that everything would always stay the same. And uh, for example, um, when I grew up and Lance, uh, to large part to you, our producer Broxton uh, knows nothing of what I'm about to say. He's a young blood. Uh, no, he probably does know a, a lot about this because of his family and uh, his dad and, and so forth and the investment uh, in him. But when I grew up, um, I remember in uh, elementary school, every year we had Christmas, we sang Christmas carols. I don't mean we sang, here comes Santa Claus, though we might throw that in. We sang Christmas, oh, oh come all you faithful, joy to the world. These were the songs that represented Christmas. And they, by the way, these are the songs that represent the message of Christ- Christmas. And, and they were the songs that we sang. We may mix in a, uh, a lighthearted, uh, you know, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer or something, but that was kind of the exception. We, we, now, that's in the public school system. That's never going to happen anymore. And in so doing, it has, it has filtered into, oh, yeah, we'll go to church. Uh, we'll do a couple of Christmas Eve services here. And, and, and those moments will be very special for Christmas. But the culture has conspired against us, and and we are we have to bear responsibility for that. Uh, and uh, I'm I'm pointing you know the old thing is when you point one finger at someone else, you've got four pointing back at you, and that's certainly true. But I think that has all worked together unknowingly and subtly over the last thirty-five to forty years to move us to a place where we didn't even realize it's still old frog in the kettle. You know, you're slowly boiling to death and you don't know it. And so that's why such an emphasis we now hear and have for the last 15 or 20 years. Every time that we get to this season, there are countless articles written on uh, why we need to get Christ out of Christmas, why we need to quit saying Merry Christmas and why we should say happy holidays instead. Why? Because the culture has said Christmas is no longer about the things that we grew up saying, this is the reason we celebrate Christmas. Um, and so I think that has, that has, has moved us and that we have allowed ourselves to be moved. Does that make sense in, in that sense? It so. does.
1: And I think that's why a podcast like this is, is really a good one to have, because we get to talk about the theological aspects of Christmas and, and bring it back to the, it sounds like a cliche, but bring it back to the real meaning. And, you know, I ask you about your memories of Christmas with Karis when she was young, and it, it, it made me think about Christ's birth and what Mary and Joseph must have been thinking during that time. And I wanted to ask you theologically, the importance of the Virgin Birth, mm. why that was important, how a believer connects with that, and and really understands uh, why God and His ultimate plan knew that that was the way to bring Christ into the world. Well,
0: that's a great question, and really, you know, I said last week uh, in the podcast that the incarnation is is the number one essential in my view uh, about uh, uh, Christ coming into the world. But second to that is the virgin birth. Without the virgin birth, you don't have a legitimate incarnation. And uh, there are some theologians who've tried to argue the virgin birth is unnecessary. I maintain there's no way you can have a legitimate, pure savior uh, if you don't have the virgin birth. And most conservative scholars would tell you that. The virgin birth is a foreign concept to us The Bible says that Mary was uh, with child of the Holy Spirit. And uh, that means that the Holy Spirit had implanted the seed of the Savior within her uh, so that the, the child could be born spotless. And that is essential to our Christmas. If you miss that, you miss something that makes Christmas what it is. And that is that a Savior was born... And he was not corrupted by the uh, uh, mingling of flesh with flesh and um, but through uh, a, a pure seed being implanted in the womb of Mary uh, And so consequently he can become he comes uh, when he is born, he comes into this world as the sinless son which was, uh, uh, Absolutely essential to being able to be a sinless Savior on on the cross, and so when we connect with that, we have to understand uh, why God did it that way, and that without that way, then the cross and and uh, Jesus ultimately uh, ultimate death would not be a spotless. Lamb of God being sacrificed. So when at Christmas time we don't just look at the fact that Jesus came into the world, but we look at the fact that He was born of a virgin, a woman who had never uh, uh, been with a man uh, in a sexual way, and that what was in her was of God. Uh, so when we look at Christ, we have to understand, wow, this the birth of Christ, was itself a miracle of God coming into our world uh, to save us. It's
1: in the Apostles' Creed, uh, born of the Virgin Mary, uh, conceived by the Holy Spirit. Would you then, would you consider the belief in the virgin birth being an essential a tenet of the faith?
0: Absolutely. I, You know, again, there are a few scholars out there, um, but I don't know of any real conservative Bible scholars who would say anything less that, um, it was absolutely essential uh, and is essential uh, to the gospel. Um, and, and it is essential to the seed of God being without blemish. And so that's why it is essential. And no incarnation, no salvation, no virgin birth, uh, no need uh, for a cross. So, yeah, absolutely.
1: So Jesus comes into this world sinless and remains sinless uh, throughout his life. And obviously now with the Holy Spirit having come after Jesus' resurrection, we relate to God through the Holy Spirit to the Son. How did people relate to Jesus when he was here in incarnate fully God and fully man?
0: Yeah, well, uh, not very well. <laughs> you know, John says in the first chapter of John, he came into his own, and his own received him not. The Word became flesh. That's the incarnate. The whole first chapter is about the incarnation of Christ. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was w- uh, with God. And the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father. He came into his own, and his own received him not. But to them who received him, to I- uh, to them, he gave the right to be children of God. He wasn't well-received. And as you, uh, you know, that uh, there were those who spent their life, uh, at least spent his life, uh, trying to destroy him because they could not accept the fact that God had taken on flesh. Um, and, uh, and so he wasn't received in that manner. And here's the irony of that. The reason he took on flesh was so that you and I, when we looked at God, we had a tangible representation. We, we have a hard time seeing that which is not tangible. So, so for, G, for God to help us understand who He was, who His character was, how much He loved us, and what He was willing to do for us, uh, our limitations cause us to say, but if I could just see what God is like. That's why Jesus would later say, He that has seen me... Has seen the Father, and so he becomes this living, breathing, tangible expression of the nature of God. And so, when we look at him, how he lived, uh, how he spoke, uh, his attitude, things like "Father, forgive them," they they don't know what they're doing. We see he thought it not robbery. Paul writes to take on flesh and come. We see God condescending to be a part of His creation, so that His creation would understand, so this is how God is. This is who God is. And yet, we didn't get it. I mean, we didn't get it. Many didn't. Some did, of course. But many still didn't. They just didn't receive Him because it was beyond their ability to believe that their Messiah was, was walking among them and was born, by the way, was born in a lowly stable. Why in the world would He be born in a stable You know, if he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and if he is the ruler of the universe, the creator of all things, and yet he would condescend in that manner. And so uh, uh, humanity had and still does, I maintain, in a lot of ways, have a difficult time receiving him for what he was.
1: So as everybody gets into the Christmas swing of things over the next few days, and they're looking for that last minute present or trying to find that next day delivery. I guess that's how people shop for Christmas now. When they get together, people will still be getting together with family for meals and and things like that. What is the the main thing? What is the focus? What thought needs to carry this Christmas season for the believer?
0: Well, again, our, our thought at Christmas needs to be a consistent one, and that is that I'm a sinner and God loves me. I'm celebrating His birth because without His birth, there's no hope for me. Uh, I could not save myself. And this miraculous, incredible act of God to leave heaven and to come into this world for me is the focus of my heart and uh, my mind. And as I give gifts, and I'm all for that, Um, and as I give gifts, I give them knowing that a greater gift was given to me And whatever I give to you, I give in honor of the one who gave his all for me. And I think if we can maintain that kind of consistent view uh, of the season, um, we may not be able to change the culture's view, but we can change our own culture view. And we can change the culture of our home and our families, uh, which one day hopefully does cause the culture to say, oh, okay, if we spend enough energy in our own lives and families saying this is what it's about, and this is, as we celebrate, uh, we also focus on the, as the cliche says, reason for this season. I think that is the key at the Christmas season uh, for us to maximize this time and uh, hopefully create in our families a lasting Listen to this, not tradition,
1: but legacy, uh, if that makes sense. That's good. Well, uh, Merry Christmas to you. Hope you have a great holiday season. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Shepherd Talk.
0: Thank you so much for joining us for today's Shepherd Talk podcast. We hope God will continue to
1: use you to reach the lost, build up other believers, and connect your life to the mission and purpose God has for you. We look forward to more talks in the days ahead with Pastor Ray.